Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. You're listening to Sword in Hand Podcast, Bible-believing preaching emanating from Indian Gap Baptist Church deep in the heart of Texas. Definitely not politically correct, but glorifying Jesus Christ in every way. So let's join in in progress. Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 10. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? I want to focus this morning on verse 10. At the end of verse 10, I want to focus on that phrase there where they ask the question, Now therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? Why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? That's a question I have for you this morning. That's a question the Lord Jesus Christ has for you this morning. Now understand the context of what's going on here. David was king. He was a great king. He was a warrior king. David's one of the greatest kings the world has ever known outside of Solomon. And Jesus Christ is going to top all of them. But David, as a king, had a son named Absalom. And this son, Absalom, was wicked. He was very wicked. And he wanted to take control of the kingdom. And he drove his dad, David, out. And his dad, David, had to run from his own son. And as he ran from his own son, his son did all kinds of wicked things. And you might be sitting in your pew saying, well, tell us all the wicked things, Brother Keegan. Go home and read it. (laughs) Give you something to read, amen. Start in 2 Samuel, read on through. Give you something to read. It's a really interesting story. It's a good story. But the context is, Absalom is dead. Absalom has fallen. Absalom is dead. David is in exile. So they come to the people, and the people ask one simple question. Now listen, verse 10, And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, this is Israel. They said, hey, we anointed Absalom as king over us, is dead in battle. He said he's dead. Here's the question. Now, therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? The question was, Absalom, who we anointed over us, he's dead in battle. Here's our king, King David. Why are we not talking about the king coming back? Why are we not talking about bringing the king back? That's the question for you this morning. Who's your king? Jesus. Why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? Let me give you three reasons. There's a million reasons, amen. And why as Christians, we don't speak about bringing the king back. The first reason might be is we don't want him to come back and find out what we're doing. And we'll have to stop what we're doing. Man, it's getting quiet in here. Let's make this illustration like when we had parents, amen. We all had parents of some kind or another, amen. I only had one parent had a mom that raised me. But I remember when my mom was gone, when the cat's away, the mice will play. And I had a cousin, what we would do is, you know what was my favorite toy in the house? I mean, the greatest toy we had in the house was the one we could never play with, the bed. And whenever my mom was out of the house, it was jumping time. I don't know about y'all, but that was the greatest toy we had in the house. A trampoline, I didn't even know there was such a thing when I was growing up. And if there was somebody who had a trampoline, those were rich kids. We had our trampoline. It was called the bed. And we were not allowed to jump on the bed, amen? You ever jump on those that had the wooden slats and you went, and it breaks through? And you're like, oh, how are we going to fix this now? And you all worried about it? I had a cousin. What we do is, uh, I say, hey, go out to the right. 
and go out there to the window. Look for, look for my mom. It's, it's, it's clear, you know, and it's doing, doing, doing. When the cat's away, the mice will play. I didn't want my mom coming back. Why? Because I didn't want her to catch what I was doing. I mean, me and my mom, me, me and my sister basically raised ourselves. My mom worked at GTE, and she, she had all these shifts she had to work, so she was never at home. I remember one morning, probably it was like 8 in the morning, as soon as we woke up, me and my sister said, let's go play on the bed. Doing, doing, doing. And we lived in a duplex. And there was a, I think about this day, I'm lucky I didn't get killed as a kid. When we lived in a duplex, there was a bed that had this, had, had the headboard. We had a headboard. And every time we would hit, jump on that bed, the headboard would go, boom, 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 and hit the, no, hit the wall, right? We lived in a duplex. Now, for y'all kids that don't know what a duplex is, that means that there's two apartments that are they're side by side. Usually, it's an old house that's been converted, and so two, two different families can live in the same house. So the walls are not made to be lived in, like an apartment. Like an apartment, they try to do everything they can to where you can't hear what's on the other side. Not in a duplex, not in the one we lived in. So we're bouncing on the bed. Bonka, 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 bonka. The next duplex over, the family's bedroom was right there against that. Stop jumping on the bed! <laughs> I thought they were going to kill us. Shah! You know, shah, shah. If you jump on the bed, I'm going to kill you. You know, they were so mad. I remember I was just like shaking as a kid. Ruined my whole day. Just one day. Only ruined one day. The next day, doing, doing, doing. I was wicked. I was wicked. I didn't want my mom to come back for one simple reason. I'd have to stop what I was doing. Man, that's what's going on with Christians. They don't talk about Jesus coming back because they don't want to have to think of what's going to happen when they get caught doing what they're doing. Man, it's quiet in here. I'm not trying to hurt you or step on your toes. I'm just trying to explain to you why maybe you're not talking about Jesus coming back. Why are you not? The question is, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? It's a good question. I know I watch a lot of movies. have watched a lot of movies in my life. One movie I'm thinking of on top of my head, Risky Business, you know what the, or, or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That was one of the most famous movies in the 80s. You know what that movie's all about? This kid skips school, a risky business, he goes away, and his family's away from the house, so they throw a big party. And everything's about, they don't want their parents to come home because they're throwing a big party, and they're trying to clean the house up before the parents get home. There's a lot of y'all need to sound my voice to live just like that. But they didn't know where, when the parent was going to come home. And they'd be partying. And all of a sudden, oh, the parent's coming home. And they start trying to clean up. And the whole movie's, they're going to, and they, usually in the end, it all worked out, right? Everybody, they, they never found out. The parents come home, never realized that there's this big, huge party going on. I've lived with some people. I grew up with some people that threw parties like that. It didn't end like the movies. The parents come home, and there's holes in the walls. The cops are over there arresting four or five of the kids. The parents pull up and it's like, what's going on here? And they're like, the parents get out of the car scared because they think there's been some kind of fire or something in the house. It's like, no, your son was throwing one big, huge party. We've had to arrest five people. There's one kid over here drunk out here in the bushes. Your house is a mess, tore up. It didn't end like the movies. I'm here to tell you the movies will lie to you. And if you're watching the movies and think life's like the movies, you're a fool. Life's not like the movie. Let me give you one good example of that. You watch a movie, and that movie lasts an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. Life goes by a lot slower than an hour and a half to two hours. You see them do all this stuff in an hour and a half. Boom, bam, shooting. They're doing all this. And you know what life is? Life's washing dishes. Life's doing the laundry. Life can be boring. That's real life. And movies are not real life. So what happens is we have a generation grown up. They think romance is like the movies. They think it's going to be wonderful. 
What does uh, Brother George like to say? Love is blind, but marriage is eye-opener. And they see what go, how, how life is in the movie. Like, it's going to be one big party. It's going to be one big excitement. It's going to be all this great stuff going on. And that's not life. Life is waking up and your wife don't have makeup on. Life is waking up and your husband's got a big old pot belly and won't go fix the sink. That's life, amen? Life is you're doing the laundry and your husband's in there watching TV. That's reality. Or maybe you're doing something your wife's over there watching TV with bonbons, eating bonbons or whatever. That's real life. Turn that junk off. Jesus Christ is coming back. And you don't want him coming back, maybe because you're afraid you're going to get caught. Let me tell you another reason maybe you don't want Jesus Christ coming back. Maybe you're like when your parents, when you, you didn't want your parents around you because they embarrassed you. Maybe it's embarrassing to you to have your parents around. I was like that. I'm ashamed to say that, but I didn't want my mom around because she embarrassed me. Because I didn't know what she was going to say. The worst thing I hated to do about anything else was go to TGNY or Gibson. And I know this shows my age because they're long gone. TGNY or Gibson in Brownwood, Texas and go with my mom there. Because she would flat embarrass me. Things she would say or do. I didn't want to be around her. You know, it's embarrassing. Because she, like, Mom, I'm going to go there and complain. No, Mama, don't, don't say nothing. Please, Mama. You know, I just beg her. Please, Mama, you're going to embarrass me. They're not going to do that. You know, no, Mama, don't be. But she didn't mind embarrassing me. And I knew that. It was embarrassing to me. Maybe you're embarrassed about, you're embarrassed about Jesus Christ coming back. Listen, a lot of times we were embarrassed by our parents because they weren't the cool parents. What I mean by that is, did y'all not grow up with some kids that had some cool parents? What I mean by that is, their parents are cool. We can go over there and hang out at their house and they'll let us drink or smoke or do whatever you want to do. Their parents are cool. And I remember growing up, I was like, I wish I had a cool parent like that. They would buy me the beer or buy me this or buy me that. And I thought they were really cool parents because they let you do what you wanted to do. And maybe Jesus Christ in your mind is not letting you do what you want to do. And you're embarrassed by that. You know what happens when you get old like me and have a kid like me? You find out those parents aren't cool. <laughs> when you were a kid, you're like, those are cool parents. And when you get old, you go, those parents are uncool. No way. Those parents weren't cool, amen. Those parents were stupid. And ignorant. And those are the parents, you don't want your kids hanging around those parents, amen? When you you got to get some wisdom on you. And I'm hoping that you don't want Jesus Christ come back because maybe you're embarrassed by him. Does it embarrass you to be a Christian? Does it embarrass you to think that Jesus Christ is coming back? Does it embarrass you to mention that Jesus Christ is coming back? I hope not. You know, the world wants you to be embarrassed. I'm here to tell you, if you talk about Jesus Christ enough, guys, you're going to be embarrassed. And what I mean by that is, you, the world's going to try to shame you. Have you ever noticed that? You haven't noticed it because you're not talking about it. Because <laughs> if you talk about Jesus Christ enough, one of your neighbors, one of your co-workers, somebody at Walmart is going to tell you this. Shut up. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. Yes, he will. Yes, they will. Oh, they all talk about, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I love Christian. Oh, God, God bless me today. Oh. Well, Jesus Christ is coming back. I don't want to talk about that. This is not the appropriate place to be talking. This is a school. We shouldn't be talking about Jesus Christ here at school. This is work. We shouldn't be talking about religious matters at work. But you don't mind talking about drinking all day long, do you? You don't mind, don't, don't mind talking about all the women you pick up at the bar. You don't mind cussing and all the nasty, filthy jokes. But I mentioned Jesus Christ. We shouldn't be talking about religious things here at work. It'll, they'll shame you. Guys, make sure you're not embarrassed like I was. When your mom's around. I don't want my mom coming around because it embarrasses me. We shouldn't be that way about Jesus Christ. Don't let Jesus Christ be an embarrassment to you. That should be a shame to you. Thirdly, maybe you don't know why you don't want Jesus Christ to come back. You might not even know that he is coming back. That's a sad one. 
Maybe you might not even realize he is coming back. Do you know there's some Christians that live their life like Jesus Christ is never going to show up? Do you realize Jesus Christ can come back before I'm done preaching? Yes, he can. And you're going to stand before him right then and you're going to have to start giving answers. Does that not wake you up? (laughs) He can come back. The saddest thing I've ever seen is a kid that don't know where their parents are. Where's your mom and dad? I don't know. I I grew up around kids like that. I don't don't want to go home. My mom and dad's not there. Where were your mom and dad at? I don't know. That's sad. They don't even know where their parents are. Are you a Christian and don't know where your parent is? Your father? You don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back? Well, I'm here to tell you, he is coming back. Let me tell you something. I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but not by much. If you're a parent and you got a kid that's wandered off in the boondocks, you're a parent and you got a kid that's wandering off, don't ever make it to where your kid don't know where he can come home to. He might be doing things or she might be doing things that, this, that you think are wicked, that you are ashamed of. He might be or she might be doing things that have shamed you, done things to you that you're ashamed of. But whatever you do, don't ever take away the opportunity for them to come home. The prodigal's father. When the son was out running around and things got bad, you know what he knew? One thing he knew. He's down in the dumps. He's feeding pigs. He's living with pigs. But there's one thing he knew for sure. I can go back to my father's house. There is a house that my father owns and I can go back. And he got up and he says, you know what? I don't deserve to be a son. I'm just going to ask my father if I can just be a servant. But he knew that his father had a house and he could go back. You've got to give an opportunity to your wayward kids to say, no matter what, you can come home. There is a home for you. Man, I can't even imagine living in a world where you have no home to go back to. Provide a place so they know how to get a hold of you and where to come. You know, Brother George has a son he hasn't seen in a long time. He don't know, he don't even know if he's still alive. But there's one thing about that son. That son knows where Brother George lives. And he has a daughter that knows how to get a hold of him. Always leave a way for those wayward kids to come on home. God gave you a way to come on home, amen? Amen. Amen. Why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? So the first thing you need to realize this morning in those three points I gave you was we need to keep in mind that Jesus Christ is coming back. And why are we not talking about it? And I gave you some reasons. Maybe you have your own personal reasons. Like I said, there could be a million reasons why you don't talk about Jesus Christ coming back in your daily conversation. And you know what? You want to make somebody mad? You know how we, people cuss us and we're not allowed to punch them in the face? You know, people run us over in Walmart and we hit the cart and bump into us and we, man, I just want to slap them, right? Man, and we can't, right? Because we're Christians. We've got to turn the other cheek. That's what they make fun of us about. You got to turn the other You want to get under their skin? Just say, you know what? Jesus Christ is coming back. And watch the look on their face. It'll, it'll hurt them worse than slapping them. Because the Holy Spirit will use it. My Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is coming back. Put the fear of God on them. <laughs> you know why some of y'all sleep so good at night? Some of y'all maybe don't. But physically reasons. Some of y'all sleep good at night because you have peace. Because you know that everything's okay. You know why you turn on TV and there's all these medicines to help you to sleep. And help you to do sleep, get sleep. You're not getting sleep. They're all this, why? Because their minds are not shutting off because they're worried. Their conscience is bothering because they know something's about to happen. And it's Jesus Christ is coming back. I want to point out to you three reasons in closing why you should be excited about this King Jesus coming back. 
And I want to point them out out of David and David's character. David's a great type of Jesus Christ in your Bible. And just how David was, that's how Jesus Christ is. That's what makes David so amazing. Look at verse 9. Here's the first reason why you should be excited about bringing this king back. Maybe when I get through with these three reasons, it'll make you want to tell people about Jesus Christ. Maybe it'll make you want to tell people, hey, I've got a king. His name is Jesus, and he's king of kings, and he's coming back. And I'm excited about it. And I want you to get on fire for Jesus Christ and think, you know what? If Jesus Christ is coming back, I better get busy and work for Jesus Christ. I better start telling people about Jesus Christ, trying to get some souls saved and get busy and doing some work for Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 9. Here's the first reason why you should be excited about this king coming back. Just like King David and all the people were at strife. Throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, talking about David, the king saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us out of the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. Talking about King David, he said about King David, he said he saved us out of the hand of our enemies, and he delivered us. Listen, the very main reason you should be excited about Jesus Christ coming back is he's a better ruler. He's a better ruler than anybody else in the world. Is Jesus Christ going to rule the world for a thousand years? That's what the Bible says. Can you, I'm going to say this, and I'm only going to say this. Can you imagine Obama ruling the world for a thousand years? <laughs> Come on, guys, don't boo too much. Enough said, amen. This is a king that saved us. See that? The king saved us. This is your Lord and Savior. He saved you. Are you delivered? And delivered us. The reason why you should be excited about Jesus Christ coming back, that's your Savior. That's your Deliverer. That's your King. That's your King. That's not somebody else's King. That's your King. The King of kings and Lord of lords. One of the main reasons we should be excited is He's better ruler than anybody else we could ever put up on that throne. It's Jesus Christ. Let me give you another reason. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Why should you be excited about Jesus Christ coming back? Because He's a better ruler. 2 Samuel chapter 16, look at verse 5. Look what happens to old King David here. And when King David came to Barum, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shemai, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David. And at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shemai when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial. So one of Saul's kids who David had took over for Saul, when he finds out that David has been exiled and David's running from Absalom, he comes out of his house and he sees David and his men and he picks up rocks and starts throwing at him. And he starts cussing, you blankety blank, God's cursed you, blankety blank, you son of Belial. And he's throwing rocks at David. And David's down on his luck. And, but David's got all these mighty men with him, see? Look what David says here in verse 8. Still Shemai talking, he says, The Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, and whose steed thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. He's just cursing him. He's telling him, this is what's happened to you because you were bloody. You were a killer. You deserve everything you get, David. And he's throwing stones at him. Look at verse 9. Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king. This is what king's main guy says. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Amen. <laughs> you got somebody throwing stones at you, cussing you, you've just been kicked out of your kingdom. And one of your, one of your mighty men says, hey man, you know what? We shouldn't put up with that. Let me go over there and cut his head off. What would you do if you were king? You're having a bad day, amen. Your son's turned on, you're kicked out. You know what Brother Keegan would do? Go cut his head off. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. Yeah, go over there and take his head off. He's throwing stones at us. God don't want to let him throw stones at me. Go cut his head off. That's what I would do if I was king. But this is not your king. Look at what kind of king you have. Verse 10, And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? He's saying that this guy's been brought out by God to curse him. He said, hey, it's, God, it's in God's hands. God's letting him curse me. Keep on reading in verse 11. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamin do it? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. See what he's saying? He's saying, you know what? My own son is out to kill me. What more can this guy do to me? Leave him alone. The Lord has sent him out here. Look at verse 12. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Woo-hoo. He said, let him alone because there might come a time the Lord send him curse me and the Lord will say, you know what? I don't want him to do that anymore and will give me good for his cursing. Now that's a man that follows God right there. Verse 13. And as David and his men went by the way, Shemai went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And he followed David out the whole time. So let me tell you something. We know what happens later on, right? In 19. David becomes king again. They're saying, bring back David. Why speak ye not a word of bringing back the king? Amen. Well, let's go find out what happens when David becomes king. Look at chapter 19. Go back to chapter 19 now. 2 Samuel chapter 19. Look at verse 16. Let's go back and find out what happens when David becomes king. So now David's king. 2 Samuel chapter 19 verse 16. And Shemai the son of Gera. Here's that same guy. This is the same guy that was cursing him and throwing stones and calling him all kinds of bad names. And Shammai, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Barum, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Uh-oh. King David's coming back in the land, and here comes a guy that was cussing him and cursing him and throwing stones. And there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him, and they went over Jordan before the king. And they went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what... He thought good, and Shemai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan, and said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity unto me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that my lord the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. Yeah, that's what I would do too. This guy that you were cursing and throwing stones at, all of a sudden he's the king again, and that guy runs down there, beats everybody else down there, and says, David, please forgive me for throwing stones at you. What's he say? Don't take it to heart. Please forgive me. What's David do? Verse 20. Look, this is his confession still. For thy servant doth know that I have sinned. He knows he's a sinner. Therefore, behold, I have come the first this, this day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shemai be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? He said, Let me kill him. This is the same guy I want to cut his head off. He goes, David, let me kill this guy now. We should have killed him before. Now let me kill him. You're king again. Let me kill him. Look what David said. And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zariah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said unto Shemaiah, Thou shalt not die. And the king swear unto him. Guys, the reason why we want Jesus Christ to come back is he's a forgiving and long-suffering king. Just like King David. Are you a sinner? Do you have to go and beg Jesus Christ to forgive you? Amen. And just like King David, you've done some stuff. Maybe there was a time in your life where you used to curse Jesus Christ. 
Most of the time, you used to make fun of Christians. You were like, maybe you're like me. You used to mock them and make fun of them. And there comes a day when Jesus Christ saves you, and you know what? You got to get down on your knees and say, Lord, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm wicked and I need some forgiveness. And you're going to have to have, like King David say, Thou shalt not die, Keegan. It's okay. I forgive you. When you deserve to have your head cut off, you deserve to die. And King David says, You know what? I'm just going to let it go. That's why we want Jesus Christ to come back. Because <laughs> he's a forgiving king. He's forgiving and he's long-suffering. He puts up with all our foolishness. That's why I want him to come back. But the main reason, the main reason I think we should have Jesus Christ back as king is the reason found in 2 Samuel chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18, look at verse 24, guys. This is the main reason. This is what makes Jesus Christ more special than anybody else you could ever put up as king. Nobody else meets the qualification as a king as Jesus Christ does. That's why we call him King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Revelation 19. What makes Jesus Christ a king above all kings? There's obviously been kings that have had lots of forgiveness. Amen. Yeah, there have been kings through history that have had lots of forgiveness and grace. Not a lot of them, but there's been some few. King David's an example. What I'm about to show you in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 24, is going to separate Jesus Christ out from every other king there ever was or ever could be. Start there in verse 24. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate unto the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. So what happens is they have the big battle, Absalom and his troops against David and his troops. So they, David wants to go to battle. They say, no, David, stay back. If you were to die, that would break, that would break our whole cause. David, you just stay back at the gate, stay back at the city. But David says one thing to Joab. He says, now I want you to listen to me. That son, that Absalom is my son, and I do not want you to kill him. I want you to be light-handed with him because he's my son. Take it easy on him. Y'all know what happens to Absalom? He's on a mule, and he's running through the woods, and his army's being defeated. And Absalom was one of the most beautiful men described in the Bible. He had this beautiful, what would you call that, Fabio kind of hair. The Bible described him having that Fabio kind of hair. And he's running through on his mule, and there was this low-hanging branch, and it grabs him by the hair. And he's stuck up and he's hanging between the heaven and the earth by his hair. And one of the men of Israel comes by and they see Absalom. And they run over there and they tell Joab. They say, hey, Joab, because Joab was the captain of the army. He said, I just found Absalom. He's hanging in the tree. And Joab said, did you kill him? He said, no way. I heard what David told you. King David said not to touch him. I'm not going to touch him. Joab goes over there and he sees Absalom hanging in the tree. And Joab takes a spear and stabs him three times and kills him. And they say, what do we do now? And Joab says, I want to send you and I want you to run and tell David that everything's okay. And another servant says, I want to run. And Joab says, no, you don't, I don't want you to run yet. And then he says, please let me run. So Joab says, okay, go ahead and run. So he sends out two messengers. And this is what you're seeing going on. And they see that man running. They see one of the men running. And the watchman cried, verse 25, and told the king. King David, and the king said, if he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. He says, if there's a man running by himself, he's got some news to tell us. So they all came up to the gate to hear what he had to say. Verse 26, though, and the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also bringeth tidings. So they're seeing two men running towards King David and towards the gate and towards the city. They see two men running. But look at verse 27. And the watchman said, Me thinketh the running of the foremost, the one that's ahead, is like the running of Ahamazah, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and cometh with good tidings. The king knows that guy. Is your running for Jesus Christ something that somebody could spot? This guy looks a long way off and he says, that guy's running. And he's running. If he's running, I know exactly what he looks like when he's running. That looks like Amazon. And King David said, I know that man. He's a good man. He's going to bring good tidings. You should be known by your walk for Jesus Christ. Amen. You should be. And I hope it's known as a good man. 
But look at verse 28. And Hamaziah called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king, and that's all what we're going to do one day, and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord, the king. And the king said, Is the young man absolutely safe? He wants to know about his son. And Hamaziah answered, When Joab sent the king's servant, and me thy servant, I saw a great tumbling, but I knew not what it was. He's lying. He knew that Absalom's dead, but he don't have the heart to tell King David that his son's dead. Verse 30, And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. So the one that was ahead, he got ahead and told King David, Everything's great. And he goes, What about my son Absalom? I don't know what's happening down there. Well, come over here and stand. We're going to wait for this other guy to show up. Verse 31, And behold, Cushai came. And Cushai said, Tidings, my lord, the king. For the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord, the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. said, He's dead. David knew what that meant in verse 33. And the king was much moved. And went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. David's brokenhearted. The son he loved has turned on him, and now he's dead. And he cried out and said, I would have died for you, Absalom. I would have died for you. And David's brokenhearted. In this great victory that any king would be glad for, he can't find any happiness as he cries out for his only son that he loved. Would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. What makes Jesus Christ the greatest king you could ever have is he did die for you. He died for me. I would die for you. I died for you, please. My son, my son. Jesus Christ loves us enough to go to the cross and die for us. That's the king I love. That's the king I want to come back to this old wicked world. That's the king I want to be under. That's a king I can find a way to serve. That's a king that loves me enough to die for me. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you the king has died for you and he loves you. This is Keegan Hall, the pastor of Indian Gap Baptist Church. Uh, we're just trying to glorify and lift up the name of Jesus Christ in every way we can, and we hope we were a blessing to you. Now, if you're listening you're not saved, we want you to be saved. That's our deepest prayer. We're doing all this so people can get the gospel message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that he died for your sin. And if you're willing to admit you're a sinner and that you need a Savior, if you go to Jesus Christ in prayer and ask Jesus Christ to save you, He'll come in and save you. Now, honestly, I can tell you, when I've done that, Jesus Christ was the best thing ever happened to me. And if you'd like to contact us, you can contact us through the web at IndianGapBaptist.com. It has all our information, how to get to our church. That's IndianGapBaptist.com. Until next time, God bless.